Hey there, rabbit holers! No, no. no. Wait, we'll、Mm-mm. we'll cut that. What's up, my rampant rabbits? Oh no. Okay, let's not do、it. that. Try again. Hey gang, welcome to this week's episode. Just a quick message before the episode.、Uh, we made a bit of an error and accidentally muted our expensive mic for this recording. Our laptop tried to pick up the slack, unbeknownst to us. So this episode may sound a little off. Hopefully, you can get past the sound quality issue because this was one of our favorite episodes yet. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome. I'm Will. Hello, I'm Alicia. This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week, we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting. And today, we're covering NC17. Yes, if you've never heard of that before, chances are, like me, you're not from the USA. But that's <gasps> okay. What? <laughs> yes, it's true. Some people are not from the USA. No, but the USA is the world. And the world is the USA. We own everything. I didn't think we would get this political. That's not even ten seconds in. I didn't think we would get this political this fast. But here we go.、Uh, yeah, we, don't worry if you don't know what it is, because we're going to be telling you all about it today. But before we do that, Alicia, how the heck are you? I'm excellent. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I just took a fifteen-minute power nap, and I'm waking up right now on the show. Yeah, you're ready to take on the world. You're ready to. Roundhouse kick God in the face. Already did that yesterday. Oh, taking names and taking naps.、Uh, and I'm fine, thank you for asking. I, I guess.、Uh, well, doesn't matter.、Uh, yeah, because I just had、uh, a week off. Yeah, you did. You did. You should be able to hear that from the sound of my voice because I don't sound like I have been slowly ground into a fine powder over the course of a week. But、uh, yeah, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Again, getting super, super hot takes super early. Anyway, let's circle back to what the uh, the uh, the reason、mm. we're here. But first, if you're listening, <laughs> go ahead and follow the show and leave us a review. Good, bad, or ugly, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please share them with us. You can find us on E T R H the Pod. At gmail dot com or at e t r h the pod on social media. Yeah, we're there. We are waiting. We are waiting for your call, but not really because don't call us.、Uh, all right, so we are talking about the the NC seventeen rating, but so much more beside.、Uh, heads up, there's a good chance this is going to be a two parter. Noose.、Uh, but don't worry, we are going to be filling. Mmm, both slices of that、mm, big old that was uncomfortable big old meaty sandwich with、uh, lots of interesting facts and nuggets for you. So,、uh, so don't worry too much about it. We're we're here for you. So tell me, Will, what is NC seventeen? I'm glad you asked, as though it was written in the script.、Uh, for those of us unfamiliar with the movie rating system in the USA, there are several tiers which denote suitability for different age groups. 
most of these ratings, in theory at least, mean that depending on the tone or content of a film, you may want to stop and think before taking a child to watch it. Even R-rated movies do not strictly prohibit young viewers from attending them. You, in theory, in order to go to an R-rated movie, you have to go with a parent or guardian, right? Yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah. Uh, I've often had, like, I often, uh, <laughs> a parent, you would have a parent, like, drop you off and, like, they would come in and buy the tickets. Sometimes the theaters are strict and the parent has to watch the movie with you, but most of the time they will just buy the tickets and be like, yeah, they have my permission, and then, like, give you the tickets and you just go in. So I think you hit on a really important point there, which is that it is essentially the discretion of the theaters, mm -hmm. right? In all cases, I believe apart from the state of Tennessee, which is the only place that has a law in the books strictly m making it illegal to go to see a movie, uh, an R-rated movie or an NC-17 rated movie if you are under that age. Otherwise, it's it's company policy. Also, if your friend looks old, like older, then they they don't check IDs really. It, they're more likely to check your bag for snacks and not even guns for snacks. Wow, smuggling in. <laughs> that must make a real <laughs> awkward uh, trip to the cinema when they're like, "All right, guys, I'm gonna have to see that backpack." All right, well we've got Tech Nine. And we've got a couple of grenades in here. It looks like you got a bandolier filled with ammunition. What the fuck are these? Are these Junior Skittles? Mints? Get the fuck out of my cinema. Uh, I mean, Take your guns with you. They don't really check your bags. We would always just stuff our pockets full of stuff from the gas station. <laughs> I'd like walk in. Do you remember, we're, we're going uh, straight into Tangent City, or early, early doors here. Town, come on. Sorry, Tangentville. Um, wow. Early doors here. But do you remember when we went to see... Uh, um, we went to see Spider-Man Far From Home in, in my hometown, and uh, I I was like, uh, don't worry about it, like, uh, you know, we'll be able to smuggle and stuff. Uh, they're, they're super chill about it, they don't care, and immediately they wanted to take my backpack, and I, I was like, this has never happened to me before. I swear! Um... Madam, <laughs> I, I'm affronted! <laughs> they took your backpack, and mine, I, ha I had like a, a small backpack, that I, for your guns. Yes, because uh, I'm American. Um, that, like, I was using as, like, a purse, because I don't want to have to carry a purse. Also, you're a woman, <laughs> so you're you're under the crazy uh, dictatorship of, of the fashion industry, which dictates no pockets for ladies. That, and I also uh, have to carry a, a big old inhaler, and I... Uh, yeah. I need I need room for that. Not for asthma. It's actually just full, it's of, full of some drugs. dank, <laughs> dank ass weed. But anyway, um, yeah. They, no, they wanted to take mine too, and I had to argue that it was a purse. <laughs> and also argue that's where my medicine lives. Yeah, and then I I reached into his bag and grabbed the snacks and shoved them into my bag. <laughs> You're trying to distract her, like. Honestly, madam, never in my life have I been so aghast. Get the, get the fucking chocolate in there. I you can't had like believe. You a full sandwich you were smuggling. I get snacky. I'm not here to be cross examined at the. Anyway, so uh, now you have all these different ratings mm. for, for suitability, suggested suitability for different age groups. Now, the exception to the rule is the NC-17 rating, which on paper means that absolutely no one under the age of 17 should watch this movie. Again, this is down to the discretion of the theatres in, in the vast majority of cases. Uh, because if they do, the next thing you know, they'll be out there spray-painting cats, 
Huffin Tide pods and doing school shoot 'em ups on Tic Tac. Right? Absolutely. 100%. Yep. Direct correlation between stuff you watch and then stuff you go off and do. I mean, there's, there is some correlation. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I should start this out by saying two things, actually. One, I don't think I've ever seen an NC-17 film in movie, like in the in the movie theater, and we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like there ever really was a chance for that. And uh, and two, I do not like violence to the extent that um, I will hide my face away from violence and Will or my friends or my family, whoever is like watching a film with me or a TV show, will have to tell me when the violence is over. And I know... That like most people would be like, what, what are you like six? And I don't get that sentiment. <laughs> How are you okay with watching someone's head being blown open? I know it's fake, it's not real, but it looks real. It's because we've watched it enough times to become completely desensitized to it. And I haven't. <laughs> Two things that number one, that's not only uh uh that's not Alicia's only thing no. that she cannot watch on screen. What is the other thing? <laughs> Anything that's embarrassing and not like, not <laughs> like embarrassing for the character. If the character should feel embarrassed, I feel embarrassed for them, even if they are not embarrassed. And my brother also has the same thing. So we used to sit and watch uh, like a TV show on the couch and then it would get embarrassing. So we'd both hide our heads behind the big couch pillows and be like, hey, what's up? Just, just hanging out. It's a bad system. You don't have a buddy. <laughs> To uh-huh. spot you and be like, yeah. okay, it's over, which, which you now have in me. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. You're welcome. Uh, oh, and, it's a rough life for you. <laughs> so the second thing, uh, and in all seriousness, I think this is going to color some of our judgments and our comments through the these two episodes. But unlike Alicia, I I was exposed to a lot of not necessarily what would be rated NC seventeen, but definitely in the, in the UK would be the equivalent of eighteen rated movies from a very young age we're talking hellraiser we're talking nightmare on elm street we're talking the aliens franchise and in hindsight was i too young to watch those movies absolutely yes in hindsight did that then cause me to bring a knife in school and go on a stabbing spree no it did not no do i think the two things are directly related no do i think that watching a lot of violence causes us to be desensitized to violence absolutely yes and do i think that's necessarily a good thing no i don't yeah so when okay. when we're driving on the road and i see like a car crash with just like mangled body parts and stuff like that and we're driving past and i'm just like oh that's interesting oh a mcdonald's i finally feel something for the first time <laughs> lust um, also just before we uh, go in and get completely out of Tangent Town, um, I don't understand why it's 17. Yeah, uh, it's almost as though all of these aging uh, ages are completely arbitrary. Weird. <laughs> Strange. But again, mm, you know, I find it odd that uh, people in the US can drive at a younger age than we can. Oh, it's very dangerous. Yeah, you can get your license at what, 15, 16? You get your learners at 15. If you have, like, permission, like, say you work on a farm or something like that, your family's farm, you can get it at 15 um, for, like, more like country roads kind of stuff. The ones that take you home, yep. Um, But, yeah, 16, on your 16th birthday, 
you you can drive when you're 15, but you have to have someone in the car with you. I'm pretty sure you can do the same thing with like tattoos in the UK. Uh, please hit us yeah. up at ETRH the Pod uh, on social media. But uh, I I, th- I believe typically you would have to be 18 to get a tattoo in the UK without the permission of your parent. However, if oh, you have you the permission of your parent, you can make all kinds of terrible. If you turn around at the age of 12 and you're like, "Mom, Dad, I've been thinking about this well... for a long time, and I really just want to get uh, my name tattooed on my lower back." I think that's child abuse. No, it's fine, because they made that decision themselves. They were like, I want to play Roblox. Uh, I want to I wanna eat some chicken dippers. And then I want to get uh, a Mike Tyson tattoo on my face. And your mom and dad have to be like, But I want okay. to be Mickey Mouse themed. <laughs> yes, obviously. I want to have like a tribal tattoo, but it's also somehow like uh, Disney related. Yeah, there's like a little Mickey Mouse running through the little tribal lines. <laughs> yeah. Gorgeous. Beautiful. Okay, well, let's get into it. Yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how, how we a- arrived at the rating system in the first place. Mm. So, since the start of motion pictures, they have been controversial. That shouldn't really be surprising. Any new art form has its critics and its would-be censors. In 1896, Thomas Edison's The Kiss scandalized viewers for a full 18 seconds. Now, I heard the name, and I imagined something in my head. If you if you just heard of a movie short called The Kiss, what and it scandalized people, what would you imagine? Oh, hot and heavy, uh, some tongue action. Yeah. Um, I actually, what I... What I pictured in my head is that kind of like 1940s or 50s kiss where they're like mashing their lips together. They're not really kissing, but it's like the music swells and like, that's the wrong tune. Uh-huh. <laughs> Most definitely. Like rubbing lips back and forth, you know, with their head. So did you watch the, the film? No. Okay. I watched it and it's kind of akin to, and I'm, I'm going to try and do it with Alicia just now. And I'm aware that you guys can't <laughs> on see this it. Audio okay. I understand you can't see, but like, so they're kind of like sat right next to each other and then they're kind of like both like talking. <laughs> oh, so he's kind it. of like, he's kind of, no, 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 no. No, so he's kind of, no, 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 no. Let, let just, so he's kind of like talking, but like talking on her talking on her lips it's so uncomfortable i keep backing up it is deeply uncomfortable and i can't there's 18 seconds worth of this but it feels like 30 minutes because you're watching and you're like when is this gonna turn into a kiss he's literally just they're just like talking on each other's mouths and kind of doing that thing that you were describing where they're kind of like going back and forth it's um I didn't feel scandalized. I just felt weird. Uh, <laughs> In the is pants that, is that how... <laughs> So once I was done uh, with that, <laughs> once I was done touching myself to that silent, uh, silent era movie, uh, yeah, maybe, is that how people kissed back then? I don't think so. This is like, you know, whenever uh, people like, oh, people back then, they just didn't have any sense of humor because the only photographs we have are just them standing straight, like not making uh-huh. a face. Because they couldn't. <laughs> the The camera lens was, the length was too long of it to be open, so any movement would cause their face to blur. There is a really cute series of photographs of, like, a couple. It's, like, four photographs, and they're, like, he's, like, holding her, and at first they're, like, kind of straight face, and then they start laughing, and then they're, like, kind of cuddling and laughing, and it's adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, from, from a very early stage, the the movie industry was controversial. 
The reception to the world's first feature film helps to highlight some of the issues surrounding public airing of controversial materials, in this case, sporting events. Because, as it turns out, the first feature-length movie wasn't a slapstick comedy or a gangster movie, it was a boxing match. In March of 1897, James J. Corbett fought Bob Fitzsimmons in Carson City, Nevada. The movie is reported to have ran over 11,000 feet of film, with a runtime of around 100 minutes. This in of itself makes it an incredible entry into film history at a time when even short film production was incredibly difficult and expensive. However, for die-hard film buffs, that's not the real mark that it left on history. 11,000 feet of film. Isn't that how high airplanes get to? <laughs> that's what they were trying to do. They were actually just trying to use the film to lasso yeah, an uh, airplane. An airplane. Uh, it was, all you know, the 1800s. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, Wright, the Wright brothers had gone all the way up there and they're like, oh, come back down here. That's where the devil lives. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a very different time. They had some real, uh, real weird ideas. They didn't even know how to kiss. They just talked in yeah. each other's mouths. Uh, <laughs> so at this time, prize fighting was illegal in every state except Nevada. But watching a fight outside of Nevada wasn't an issue. So if you've got like a super big telescope and you're in Utah, I guess, then you're good to go. They can't touch you. Or you could just stand Not at with the... a 10 foot pole. You could just, presumably, you could just stab at the state line, like in the middle of the desert and then just like, all right, you fellas go over there. And you just watch two guys beat the shit out of each other. But as long as you're over the state line, you're all good. But it's not, it's not illegal in Nevada. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's. <laughs> As long so as if, you, if you are, are, if you are over either state line, doesn't matter. Right. So okay. Right. I've I've just shown myself a dum dum here. Uh, Correct. <laughs> now that technology was available that made it possible to record and view a full length boxing match, the Corbett versus Fitzsimmons match was going on the road. The movie would eventually be shown in ten cities across the USA over an eleven month period. But when the movie was put on display, seven states, including New York, decided to issue fines to venues where the fight would be shown. And so this would have been like one original film, right? They mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to make copies at this point. So they're just lugging around like, yeah. this one film. I don't believe so. I think even if they could make copies at this time, considering the length of this film, it, w it would have been incredibly expensive and time-consuming. Uh, so yeah, they, they essentially... they. They took it on tour. It was like they were the Rolling Stones. Um, but, you know. More popular. Young, younger. <laughs> By late 1907, one city decided to take a more hands-on approach to censoring movie viewings. The Chicago City Council handed the power to issue permits to the chief of police, who would view the material and decide whether or not to issue a permit for public viewings in the city's various Nickelodeons. Pink permits were also created to denote movies that were, quote, adult only in nature so probably lots of uh talky kissing going on there mm. uh and all of this was brought before the supreme court who upheld chicago's right to issue or deny a movie based on their own moral standards in 1909 the mayor of new york city ordered 550 movie theaters be closed because of their quote reprehensible material i'm sorry i stopped listening as soon as you said nickelodeon is that where the name 
comes from? I presume that's where the name comes from. What does from. Nickelodeon mean then? I thought it was just like a weird name. So if you if you s separate the two words, I don't know about in the USA, but in the UK, uh, we have a movie chain called the Odeon, Odeon Cinemas. Okay. Yeah. And if it's a Nickelodeon... Sure, it's a nickel for the... Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I've never heard the term Odeon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess, I don't know if, if that's a derivation of some word that means theater or means hmm. cinema. But yeah, it was just like a, a very early, very, very cheap cinema. Uh, apparently, what happened with these pink slips as well, where you could watch... You bought each other's cars. Adult-only mo movies. Uh, that was a Grease reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've never watched Grease all the way through. It shows. I, I'm sorry, but so if for the same reason that I've never watched Monty Python, uh, the the Holy Grail, all the way through, right? Because I had never seen it when I was younger, and by the time I got to secondary school, there was a group of people who would just constantly be like, "We are the Knights of Shining, me, me, me," and just keep that shit up all the time. So they're like, "Why don't you watch this movie?" And I'm like, "Huh? Yeah, no. <laughs> Seems real fun, but now I don't want to." And it was the same with Greece because. And I don't know why it was so insanely popular because that movie came out in like the 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. But we just had like a hardcore group of girls who would like constantly quote the movie, constantly do the songs. They would like even do their hair a little bit like the, I don't know the name of the gang. Rizzo? Sure. The Pink Ladies. Why not? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that in turn was like, ah, eh, I don't really want to watch this now. I feel like I've kind of watched it just hanging out with you guys, so... Um, where the heck were we? Pink slips. So what ended up <laughs> happening with these pink slips was they became like a kind of unofficial form of advertising. So it went from, oh, this this movie requires a pink slip. I better not watch it. To oh, pink slip. Gotta get a load of this. This movie requires a pink slip. You want one, buddy? <laughs> heck yeah! <laughs> Is the movie just your Reach. penis in that box? You're holding it crotch height. Reach trench coat <laughs> okay well i don't think i want to sir but it's been nice meeting you today uh all right so new york city they ordered 550 movie theaters to be closed because of their reprehensible uh, material uh, this in turn led to the formation of the national board of censorship who would voluntarily re-edit their own materials in order to ensure distribution this caused aggrievement amongst groups such as Mutual Film Corporation, who grew tired of the ongoing expense of both time and energy needed to secure a movie's release. They argued that their products should be protected under the First Amendment, the right to free speech. So, first off, you've got a board that are calling themselves what they are. They're, they're a board of censorship. Mm -hmm. And they are a voluntary organization, which we might find really odd, but... The idea here is that you're going to censor yourself. You're going to you're going to make your own movie more palatable because you want to try to make a profit on your own product. You want to try and get a release. And if it if it's not, if it doesn't come up to certain standards, then it's not going to get aired across the country. And also the the Mutual Film Corporation, one of the reasons that they were so intent on getting quick releases is because they were showing newsreels at the beginning of movies mm -hmm. so what there's no point in showing a newsreel that's a month old because you've had to spend that time re-editing the original movie so you you could see how this would upset a lot of movie uh movie producers sure 
1915, the case of Mutual Film Corp versus Industrial Commission of Ohio was brought before the Supreme Court. Two years beforehand, Ohio had appointed a board of censors to decide what could and could not be shown in theatres. Mutual argued that not only was their freedom of speech being violated, but their ability to conduct interstate commerce was also being threatened. The court ruled against Mutual. Writing on their decision, Justice McKenna stated, quote, The exhibition of moving pictures is a business, pure and simple, originated and conducted for profit, not to be regarded, nor intended to be regarded, by the Ohio Constitution, we think, as part of the press of the country, or as organs of public opinion. Furthermore, quote, we cannot regard the censorship of movies as beyond the power of government. My voice is new. I like it. That's my voice from now on. I hope it turns you on. 100% no. Not doing it for you, baby. Opposite direction. No. Uh, so basically what they're saying here is that the these can't be protected by freedom of speech because they're not artistic expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, or freedom of press, which is unusual because, again, they, they were showing newsreels in some of these films. So they they regard them as being a product. They weren't also seen as, like, an art. Exactly. That was the real issue, is that art has freedom of speech uh, because, you know, it's subjective, it's an art form, whereas they didn't see movies as an art. So, therefore, it couldn't have freedom of speech. And this is... I think a perpetual argument with any relatively new form of technology. We're still having this argument uh, over video games today. Ever since uh, what's his name, the movie critic um, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert came out and said point blank, video games are not art. They will never be art. You know, they'll never be considered to the same standards as movies. Um, that conversation has been much more in the public forum, and yet you have move uh, you have video games winning awards for their narrative quality and winning awards for their graphical fidelity etc etc so there's a lot of arguments to be made that actually they are an art form but you've still got this relatively new technology that's trying to win people over and make itself uh be taken seriously yeah and maybe distance itself from what it was in the past yeah just well two two dudes uh beating the shit out of each other in nevada well, Birth of a Nation, which came out in 1915. Oh boy, for <laughs> for our uh, for our listeners at home who don't know what Birth of a Nation is, you want to give us a a, a quick? Uh... It's a white supremacy circle jerk by the KKK. Yeah, which if you've listened to our K's for Knights of the Golden Circle episode, uh, you'll know that it a circle jerk is very special for the KKK because they they love the symbol of the circle. Sure, sure, sure do. Sure um, do. Also covered in our Golden Age episode. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, God, we're racking them up, huh? So at this point in U.S. history, the Supreme Court and state government did not see movies as vehicles for self-expression, but were no more than a product produced by a manufacturer. This is the stance they would take until 1952, when they would finally reverse their decision, acknowledging that expression within the format of a movie was in fact protected by the same guarantees of freedom of speech and a free press. Okay, well, now that we've talked about the free press, and we're going to talk about uh, the repression of the free press in a little bit, uh, let's take a little break. All right. Uh. 
Hello and welcome back. I hope your freedom of speech was not impinged while you were in the bathroom or making a cup of tea, because that would be nightmarish. It sure would. Yeah. I know. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, censorship was not the only thing affecting Hollywood at the time or this kind of fight for the freedom of speech. There was also a lot of scandal going on, which hurt the box office. And the biggest scandal was the 1921 murder, in quotes, of a young actress by uh, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Mm -hmm. So the trial of Fatty Arbuckle would directly lead to the creation of MPA ratings. Arbuckle was in a hotel room and his friend Fred Fickbuck? or Fitchbach, planned a Labor Day bash to kind of celebrate the release of his newest movie. Arbuckle, still in pajamas and with an unfortunate acid burn on his buttocks from sitting on an acid-soaked rag at a mechanics, wandered through the party and eventually found himself near a madam and blackmailer, Maude Delmont, and model and aspiring actress, Virginia Rapp. Within a few hours, Rapp would be dead, and Delmont pointed the finger directly at Arbuckle, saying that he fed her drinks, took her into a bedroom, and raped her. Supposedly, the 266-pound man was so heavy that he ruptured Rapp's bladder. You, you told me about the story a little bit uh, off-air, and it's just, it's just a nightmarish image. Like, imagine having something so heavy on you that, like, ruptures your bladder. Also, like, what would that even feel like? You know, is it like when you've been on a super long car journey and you are dying for a pee and then all of a sudden you've released, but I now you can never do it again? I don't know how... I, I have no idea. How rupturing your bladder would feel? Or, yeah. like, how having someone that heavy on you... Having having sex with Roscoe Arbuckle, how how do you think that would feel? No thanks. No, um, not your kind. He's poor not. Guy. No, he's not. He's not the villain in this piece, by the way. Yeah, apparently he hated being called fatty as well for I all mean, you for would, all these reasons. You? Well, like, but I I could see certain stars leaning into it uh, and being like, yeah, I, you know, I'm the fat guy in Silent Era Cinema, but he, um, I, I guess he really didn't like it. He still know? played a leading man in quite a few roles, though. Yeah. Well, that that was back then when you didn't have to look like Chris Pratt or Chris Evans in order to to get a well, role. Well, the men didn't. The women had to look like Chris Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> if only we could go back to that era, am I right? Sorry, I was just reading things about Hollywood starlets earlier, and one was that um, Audrey Hepburn, her makeup artist, would put mascara on her, and then to achieve the doe-eyed look would take a safety pin an nope. No, it's not bad. And individually separate uh, her eyelashes. Uh-huh. So each one had to be separated. And uh, another starlet, I can't remember her name, would soak her eyes in boric acid before nope. each shoot so that she would have like a kind it's of not what you... <laughs> misty-eyed look. <laughs> Don't want any, any kind of acid near my <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, back to poor Finny Arbuckle. Well, don't don't make fun of him. He he's aware that he's overweight. Roscoe Arbuckle. There you go. Um. Okay. 
So the papers took this story and ran with it. Arbuckle turned himself in. His story was very different. He had some drinks with Rap before she became hysterical and complained she could not breathe and then started to tear off her clothes. He was never alone with her and had witnesses to corroborate. Delmont, remember that madam? She was the prosecution's star witness. Even though she built her career on bringing young women to parties, women who would later cry rape, and the men were blackmailed into paying Delmont. So are you saying that there is some kind of pattern here that we should pay attention to? I am saying it's not necessarily a pattern, but that she is a person who can't be trusted. Uh huh. Uh-huh. She also sent a telegram to two attorneys saying, We have Roscoe Arbuckle in a hole here, chance to make some money out of him. So she's an all around stand up lady. But it's a telegram, so you gotta say, We have Roscoe Arbuckle, stop, in a hole here, stop, chance to make, stop, some, stop, money out of, stop. Too many stops. Him, stop. Too, too many stops. Stop? Perfect. I'll stop. Okay, so it took Arbuckle three trials. Basically, each time the jury was hung and it was a mistrial. The first was 10 to 2 in favor of acquittal, then 10 to 2 in favor of conviction. And uh, and by the third, he finally got acquitted. The issue here was that Rapp actually had a chronic bladder condition, and an autopsy showed that there were no marks on her or signs of sexual assault. This was thrown out of the trials in the beginning. I'm not really sure why they kind of claimed, because this was like the autopsy had these notes, and they were just like, you're not an expert, and like, got rid of the I, I I wonder at what stage did they start taking autopsies Science, and medical... <laughs> I mean, they, not knew even that, today. they knew that the earth revolved around the sun. Wait, are you crazy? No, everybody mm. respects science. Okay. And, and the consensus of a, a group of scientists. But I seriously, I wonder if this was during the era when the jury would have been like, autopsy? What's an autopsy? I have, I don't know. But um, during, I think they, they would have taken witness witnesses more seriously mm-hmm. uh, than like an autopsy. So during the first two trials, Arbuckle refused to allow a witness to come forward to speak to Rat's character as he didn't want to speak ill of the dead. Finally, he had no choice. The witnesses testified that Rapp had suffered previous abdominal attacks, drank heavily, and often disrobed at parties after doing so, was promiscuous, and had an illegitimate daughter. I don't know why those last two things matter, but, you know, I, I, mean, do, I know why they matter at the time period, but... Sure, okay, so, I mean, let's face it, we are still living through the era where you can't mention rape in a court of law without or in the media without people immediately being like but what was she wearing where was she how drunk was she did she have long hair that's what uh they used to tell us girls when we were growing up is that if you had long hair you were more likely to be raped what because they can grab your hair i don't again i think there's a lot of onus on the woman to uh make herself rape-proof. Like the governor of Texas, I imagine that a lot of people think that rapists are just stalking through the community wearing trench coats and a big t-shirt saying, I'm a rapist, question mark. And, and you know, the scary truth is that could be it's could most, be anyone. It's most likely somebody that you know. Exactly. 
All right, well... Uh... Well, after spending... <laughs> she wasn't raped uh, in this instance. I mm-hmm. can't speak to the past. After spending $700,000 on legal fees and the death of his career, Arbuckle was finally acquitted in 1922. According to the Smithsonian, one week later, William Hayes, whom the motion picture industry hired as a censor to restore its image, banned Fatty Arbuckle from appearing on screen. Hayes would later change his mind uh, eight months later, but the damage was done. Arbuckle would direct behind the scenes for Friends, and not much else. Eventually, he died of a heart attack at the age of 46. I am I am glad that we're currently living through an age where, in light of the hashtag MeToo movement, when women or or men involved in the industry come forward and they're like, this producer, this director, this actor is up to no good. They are molesting people, they are harassing people, they are raping people, and then they're burying it under threat of, we will destroy your career, you will never work in this industry again. I'm glad that we're taking it seriously, even if the side effect of that is that every other week you discover somebody who was your childhood hero is actually a massive monster and should probably be behind bars. That being said, I do feel like there is room for some kind of middle ground between that and... Uh, well, what happened I, to Arbuckle? Exactly. Like, well, I heard I heard that he did something wrong. Okay, now he doesn't have a career anymore. So the huge problem here was not even the trial. It was that the newspapers took the story and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but um, the guy who owned the newspaper said, like, of of the coverage, like, I haven't sold this many copies since the sinking of the Lusitania. So he... <laughs> He's out there, and if he's not covering the Fatty Arbuckle trial, he's desperately going around like all the docks holes yeah, <laughs> with a little hand drill. <laughs> all right, we're gonna get him one of these days. Um, yeah, I mean, the, this sounds like a horrible thing to have happened. So, this what you're saying is that this led directly to the birth of the uh, Hayes Code. Yeah, basically, there were all of these starlets and stars who were like getting. Uh, like scandals there were so many scandals about like drug use i think there was a director who like oh, was bisexual oh my goodness oh my goodness uh, it was caught in like a compromising situation there was this trial which was like trial of the century kind of thing um and so all of the coverage that hollywood was taking at the time was negative and they're like we really gotta change our image otherwise what they were afraid of was not that people would stop watching movies but that the government would come in and start censoring the films. Okay. And you can see that fear even to this day, this idea that there are only two options, self-censorship via uh, an appointed board or committee, or the government will, will immediately come in and start saying what you can and cannot show. Which and I... uh, we'll talk about later why that might not be such a bad thing. Yeah, and I guess I, I have wondered... I mean, we'll we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later on, but at this stage, I don't know if people already have like a healthy dose of fear regarding Bolshevism and communism. So like the idea that, you know, a, a state could come in and completely throttle people's artistic expression and, and freedom of speech. I don't know if that is currently at play. I'm not sure. I think there's absolutely the fear of government control. I don't know how much of that is weighed like you know how much communism 
is weighing in on that, but there is and always has been a, a culture of fear in the U.S. around the government having too much control. Yeah, like saying what you can and cannot put in your movies, or what or you can and cannot like wear or... on your face when you go out in public, uh, for example. So tell me a bit more about this Hayes Code. Okay, so the public was outraged. There were wanton women left and right, actors doing drugs, and Fatty Arbuckle had murdered a woman. Uh, he didn't. Uh, I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody coming back at me for slander. <laughs> of this man who's been dead for many, many years. I think you'll be okay. Slander is written, libel is spoken. Libel. <laughs> yes. Religious leaders were forming local censorship boards to chop up films to suit their communities, and others were calling for government censorship. At this point in time, movies were not protected under free speech, which we were talking about, and the last thing studios wanted was to be beholden to government censorship. So in 1930, the studios, under former Postmaster General Will, Will Hayes, they came up with a list of 36 self-imposed don'ts and be carefuls. Hayes had previously been a chairman of the Republican National Committee before stepping into the role of chairman of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America, the mandate of which was that no picture shall be produced that shall lower the moral standards of those who see it. That's a, that's a new voice. Mm. I thought I'd try something out. No, it's great. However, there was no enforcement and no penalties for producers who did not adhere to these guidelines. This wasn't good enough for the scandalized American public. Yeah, they, they're out for blood at this stage. Mm. Mm -hmm. they, they need those movies chopped and changed. So part of the issue is that they would just like send these movies out to theaters and before they went into the theaters, local communities would take the film, chop it up to their standard, and then show it in the film. So there were all these different versions of the film being shown across the country and none of it was something that the filmmaker actually wanted to be shown. I wonder if they ever handed it off to uh, the one guy in the community that they were the like... Perv. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the one guy in the community who's hardy, like, give it to Harry. Harry, you draw pictures, right? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, you can be in charge of this. Here's a pair of scissors. But, oh, <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> give it to the perv. And uh, you just end up with like Where a bunch of... Where are these extra films coming from? Is that my window? Is that my wife? Um, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> now with an extra 16 minutes of bonus footage. Wait, what? I didn't approve that. I did. Well, it's already on, so we might as well watch it. Okay, so part of the issue here is that they believe that Hayes kind of caused this outrage so that he could take control. So hmm. he like was stoking the fires and was like, they're so outraged, we must do something! Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of Mrs. Doubtfire sort of scenario. No. <laughs> the way that Mrs. Doubtfire uh, enraged all those people so that mm -hmm. she could then uh, be a woman. I meant the voice. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So he pressured filmmakers into towing the new line. According to NPR, Hayes said, his said of his code, it states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary in this universal form of entertainment. And among those considerations that no picture should ever lower the moral standard of those who see it, and that 
the sympathy of the audience shall never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. In my head, I definitely picture him as a very uptight white lady with, like, a glass of white wine and, like, ten Xanax. I picture him as the kind of guy who has, like, Bible verses mm. hanging on the wall in his office, but at lunchtime enjoys locking the door and literally, like, slamming his dick and balls in the Bible because it's the only thing that will make him come. Mm. Uh, he definitely does horrible things. Yeah. So... Hayes Code was actually called the Production Code, and it was entirely voluntary. Well, as long as you didn't care about having your film play in theaters. For example, Howard Hughes' film The Outlaw was kept out of theaters because of its advertising, which focused on Jane Russell's cleavage. More on that later. Uh, cartoon characters like the famous Betty Boop had to have their hems lowered and pull on some tights because of those beautiful gams. Yeah. I've seen Betty Boop in uh, a lot of women's bedrooms. I'm now thinking Weird. about the way that that is phrased. Um, and Were you the town perv? So the point is <laughs> that, but in when she's on posters, etc., she's not wearing like a frilly frock and uh, and like stockings. Yeah. No, she is. But even, you know, by the standards of the time, like pretty provocatively dressed, she does have that enormous uh, turnip shaped head, which, you know, Weird. is a hurdle to get over. But <laughs> it's a difficult length. <laughs> so, yeah, she before this time. So before this, she basically had a skirt that barely covered anything and like a garter way up high on her thigh. And they were like, oh, oh couldn't do that. Certainly couldn't show that much leg on this fake character. Uh-huh. I, I think it would have actually melted these people's brains mm. if they had seen the Rule 34 website. If if they could see a cartoon depiction of, like, Lois from Family Guy and Marge Simpson, like, viciously scissoring one another, then they're, they're actually... They would burst into flame i'm sure that or there'd be some sort of switch and they'd be like oh i like this why Wait. am i so angry about this doesn't everyone like this shouldn't guys we should be looking at this let's not let, let's just let people look at this it's fine nah <laughs> they would they would first jerk off to it and then be like it's Filth. evil let's burn it i'll keep this one for safekeeping but we'll burn all the other ones oh hypocrisy uh, the same community that had railed against scantily clad actresses on the sign of the cross were changing, and post-World War II filmmakers had to compete with the much racier TV. Mm. In 1955, Frank Sinatra played an addict in The Man with the Golden Arm, something that was certainly a no-no under the Hayes Code. And even though the film didn't receive a seal of approval from Hayes, it got great reviews, made into theaters, and in a coup de grace, won an Oscar. Do we know that? Uh, do we know if his arm actually was made of gold in that movie? Hundred percent robot <laughs> arm. I I love it as a concept. <laughs> I don't think so, but I didn't watch the film. Mm -hmm. I didn't even look at a poster. <laughs> I did. We did so much research for this. <laughs> look it up yourself. <laughs> I'm not coming after you. All right. If you if you if you say you don't know, you don't know. So. It, was becoming clear that not only was the Hayes Code outdated, it was also not as powerful as it had once been. 
1952, we talked about this, the Supreme Court overruled their 1915 decision that motion pictures were not protected under free speech. And in 1959, Hayes had kind of stepped down at this point, and so there was a different man who was in charge of the production code, and the man enforcing the rules waffled about movies being allowed, as long as they had a proper frame of reference, like we could show, you know, some of these things, you know, as long as they're presented in the right way. But absolutely, no way Jose was there to be homosexuality. So, uh, so this, so this guy was gay. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, deep, deep, deep in the closet. He is in, he's the mayor of Narnia. Whatever he is, he's a trash person. Yeah. Enter the 1959 film Some Like It Hot, which saw its two leading men in drag and fending off male suitors. I actually heard about this and... I've seen this film. Yeah, apparently uh, the the board did not have an issue with the movie itself. Their main issue was with the ending. So at the end of the movie, there is this reveal that they're doing that thing where it's like, well, we can't get married. So one of the characters who is in drag and uh, he he has a male suitor who wants to marry him. And he's like, oh, we can't get married. I smoke. Uh, I've been divorced. Uh, I can't have children. But he's like, oh, I don't care. It's fine. And then he's like, I'm a man. And he's like, well, nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. So that was what they objected to is like, oh, so he knows he's a dude. No, no, no ridiculous right you know (laughs) oh so he's pansexual (laughs) yeah yeah there you go they didn't even have a word for that back then yeah no um well they probably did but they were very derogatory by the 1960s and its sexual revolution the Hayes code was practically dead in the water leaving an opening for the motion picture association of america or the mpaa to swoop in Okay, even though the Hayes Code is now effectively dead, let's talk about some of the things you couldn't get away with under the Hayes Code. Yeah, uh, so remember, this is your uh, chunky list of don'ts and (laughs) be Be careful. careful. Uh, (laughs) Coming from a really weird source, uh, this is from Men's Health Magazine. I don't know why Men's Health Magazine are doing this now. Because they were covering the release of, was it the, the TV show or the movie Hollywood? Okay. And in it, I think that they're talking about the Hayes Code. Yeah. And they're talking about censorship in film. And I think the two of the characters are gay, so. Uh, all right. So first up, sex and relationships. You cannot show or should not show overt portrayals and references to sexual behavior. Adultery as a subject should be avoided. Complete nudity was never permitted. Miscegenation... In other words, interracial relationships were not allowed. Sex hygiene and venereal diseases were not appropriate subjects, although, I mean, you should you should really know about both of those things. Absolutely not. Not even in today's schools. No, sir. Scenes of childbirth were never to be shown. Homosexuality was not to be depicted. And scenes of fashion should only appear when necessary and should not be explicit. When it's necessary. I know. We're going to approach this with some necessary passion. I think that's what they say on the set of every porn movie, right? It's like, okay, places, people. Let's see lots of necessary passion. Only as much as necessary. I don't know. I think it's what they say in every kind of, like, straight white romance. They're like, with necessary passion. I don't want you to overdo it. Don't, don't give me any kind of sexual tension. But... 
if he even gets half erect, we're we're gonna need to shut down this entire production. Spray it all down with hoses. <laughs> We've got to quarantine this place for a week, and then we can set up the reshoot. For God's sake! Uh, all right, and then we've got crimes. Uh, so crime and immorality could never be portrayed in a positive light. Criminals should not be made out to be heroes. Methods of committing crime could not be explicitly presented. Illegal drug usage could not be presented or methods of crime could not be explicitly presented. So forget doing like Ocean's Eleven, right? The the scene where they're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, they start to be like... <laughs> all the little squares drop down. Yeah, no, you can't do that because you are showing explicitly how they're going to do some crime. Did that film come out though in the 60s? Well, the original came out in the 60s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe mm. maybe after Frank Sinatra had done his Golden Arm movie, he d I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a Golden Arm in uh, Ocean's Eleven. I know, I just know. a severe drink problem. <laughs> That's just his whole life. I'm sure. <laughs> a problem with womanizing, but his arms are both normal. Uh, all right, then religion. Uh, so brace <laughs> <laughs> yourself. Uh, ridicule of the clergy was not allowed. Religion could never be depicted in a mocking manner, so like we're doing right now. Words like God, Lord, Jesus, Christ, hell, and damn could not be used unless it was in connection with religious ceremonies. I don't. Okay. Uh, the Hayes Code affected many iconic movies and TV shows. Again, according to Men's Health, quote, on I Love Lucy, the word expecting was used instead of pregnant. The word was seen as vulgar. And Lucy and Ricky slept in different beds. You bet they didn't do that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> she, they were properly in... But hold on a second. Uh, Ricky Ricardo was Puerto Rican? Yep. So doesn't that technically count as miscegenation? Because, I mean, that even today does not count as quote-unquote white. Right? I guess. I don't know. I don't, so, I don't know why, why they were allowed to. <laughs> all right, so early doors, you can see that even though you've got a very definitive list of rules, these rules can be ignored when appropriate. When it's popular. Sure, exactly, 100%. Um, and we're, this is not an argument for upholding every single one, one of these rules. Of course, you should be able to show people having an interracial relationship because that's something that happens every day in the real world. But why have some rules that they adhere to so strictly, like an inability to show uh, homosexuality on screen and others where it's like, eh, whatever. I think the the key here was that um, Lucille Ball already had pull in the industry. Mm -hmm. So people wanted to see her on screen. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, if if it ends up with a better outcome for the industry as a whole, then that's what you want to see, even if it's not coming from a place of fairness. Uh, so, uh, also in Gone with the Wind, the childbirth scene was only seen in shadows, and the now famous line, quote, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn, was only kept in the movie because it also appeared in the original version. You could have delivered that line so much better. I thought it was frankly, my dear, I don't get it. I think it's one of those things that people... Misremember? Like, uh, play it again, Sam, which is never said in the film. Oh, or beam me up, Scotty. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay, Alicia is now looking it up. So, uh, so it turns out... Uh, it's it, The real line is, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You Suck on that, men's health. <laughs> you could have delivered that better. I think you meant, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It It is really well delivered in the film. Yeah. But, I, uh, I can't sit and watch, like, three hours of Gone with the Wind. I don't think that's really an option <laughs> anymore, right? Because Gone with the Wind is not a fantastic depiction of people of color. Well, certainly not. But <laughs> so <laughs> back when uh, I was a kid, I think my mom had it on two VHSs. Yeah, you know something is long when it's on two VHSs. <laughs> uh, all right. Speaking of things which are long. It's time for another break. Here we go. It da, is da, break da, time. Da, 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 da. That's not the tune I want. It turns out the tune that Alicia wanted to sing but couldn't sing is the tune that the Warner Brothers frog <laughs> sang, the one with the little hat and cane. Yeah, the way I always think of it is the one from uh, Mel Brooks's uh, <laughs> spoof movie where the alien comes out and he's... Oh, Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Oh, okay. The alien comes out of the diner <laughs> is ah. doing a spoof on the frog. Reference within a reference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, we hope you enjoyed your break. You're back now. Let's talk about the rise Listen of the to motion... Listen awesome. Yeah, that's what you're here for. Uh, let's talk about the rise of the Motion Picture Association of America. The year was 1968. Richard Nixon entered the White House, both Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were assassinated, and the Beatles birthed a sing-along classic that would haunt pubs for all time when Hey Jude went straight to number one. Yeah, paint me a word picture. I feel like you do. We can imagine that there's like a slow dissolve, and everything is like tie dye and headscarves, and like it's like playing over everything. Yeah, uh, seriously, I do not like that song. Hey Jude, I mean, just because I I don't know, man. It's because you're British, isn't it? No, I don't think it's I don't think it's that. Plenty of British people like that song. What I mean is they like it to the extent where it comes on and it's like if you don't sing along, someone will shoot you. Where are you getting guns? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will find a gun and shoot you. That's how badly they want to sing that song. It's very catchy. Alright, so we're in nineteen sixty eight. This was also the time when the credibility of Hollywood and traditional movie distribution was really starting to slip. The ubiquity of televisions in the home away from the censorship of rating boards and the increase of imports of non-production code rated movies into US movie theatres had generated a cinema culture that felt a little... trite. The Hayes Code had faced a number of challenges up until this point, most notably in 1943 with the Howard Hughes-directed The Outlaw, starring Jane Russell and her boobs. Why would I make such a crass observation about Jane Russell's ditties? Well, Hughes felt so strongly about the, shall we say, presentation of Russell's tiggle biddies on camera that he ignored the list of do not set out by the Hayes Code. And if it seems that 
I'm fixated on James Russell's breasts, that's because of Hugh's very obvious interest in them. According to Christina Rice, author of Mean, Moody, Magnificent, Jane Russell and the Marketing of a Hollywood Legend, Hughes discovered Russell when he asked his team to specifically look for a busty actress. The image of her lying in her blouse hanging off her shoulders helped turn Russell into a war-era pinup, and according to the TCM website, Hughes and his engineers even went as far as to design a special cantilevered bra for her character. Can you tell me what a cantilevered bra is? I would love to, but I can't, so let's look that up right now. All right, we're back from Google Image Search. Okay, um, it looks like basically it's a bra that has dual straps, like one's like halter neck behind the neck, and the halter neck hooks into the band to kind of like extra push up the boobs. It kind of looks like a torture device, if I'm being honest. All bras are torture devices if you have to wear them long enough, but this especially. Yeah. And for the gentleman in the audience, or just anyone who has never worn a bra before, it uh, looks... Um... Complicated. <laughs> I mean, they all are, trust me. But <laughs> Hard to undo with one hand. A little bit. Uh, just looks super uncomfortable. Mm. Super. But it does look like you would have super high breasts. Sky high breasts. I just love the idea of... I bet there was not a single woman on that team of engineers. Oh, 100% no. And they're sat there like late into the night, like chain smoking and drinking cup after cup of coffee. And they're like, God damn it, boys, we've got to crack this. we got to get a bra that makes her bazongas look a thousand miles wide on the big screen. And they're like, okay, Mr. Hughes, he knows that we work on aircraft, right? <laughs> I've never, I've never even seen a bra. I've never touched fabric in my life. Yeah. If he wanted us to get this thing to lift off the ground and carry passengers <gasps> across the Atlantic. I've got an idea. <laughs> Just like a bra that has twin propellers. <laughs> <laughs> Is this what you wanted, Mr. Hughes? I mean, he was obsessed with planes. He was. And later in life, hygiene. Spruce goose. Yeah, this, uh, this guy, when he catches onto an idea, he catches onto it big time. So the irony was she didn't even wear it on screen. <laughs> <laughs> they showed it to her. She took one look and she was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting in that. No, no, thank you. She did wear it for the pinups, though. And if you if you search cantilever bra, one of the first things that comes up is Jane Russell with the blouse like halfway up her shoulders. Mm. Uh, suffice it to say, the uh, production code were not very impressed with all this. And they tried to ban the movie. Its release was delayed for three years, during which time Hughes kept Russell on a retainer of $1,000 a week, even when she wasn't filming. She would become known as the motionless picture actress because of all the hype surrounding her without her actually appearing on screen. She got $52,000 a year for not making it. Oh my god, that's the dream. There was just so much hype surrounding her. Um, so unlike Scarlett Johansson following the Black Widow movie, uh, delaying her movie for three years actually kind of boosted her career even further because they were able to market it at 
finally being released in theaters because all the people had heard up until this point was like this movie is so saucy like it's so raunchy that they can't even show it in theaters and it turns out so the the story essentially is kind of it's it's not a true story but it's based on the story of billy the kid um it turns out apparently a little bit boring so <laughs> not not a superb movie but that's why you get the cantilever brawn that's how you get bums and seats baby uh, putting boobs and bras. Exactly. Putting boobs and weird-ass bras. This early middle finger to the censors helped pave the way for other movie producers who also began challenging the code, but still managed to achieve commercial success, as was the case with later movies such as The Moon is Blue and, as you said earlier, Some Like It Hot. The message was this. You could go against the wishes of the MPPDA and the rules of the Hayes Code and win. It's not a catchy acronym, not gonna lie. No, which is, I guess, why they changed it uh, to to just the MP MPAA. Well, this is before this yeah. was in the motion picture production. Yeah. <laughs> something, something. <laughs> sure. So, to yes. recap thus far, <laughs> we have movies as an early form of technology, people being scandalized. And some, calling for more censorship. Yeah. Some false scandal being sown in there. Mm -hmm. uh, people adopting this form of censorship, which at the time was labeled as censorship. It was labeled for, you know, what it was. Kind of like how the Department of Defense used to be called the Department of War. And then people re realized <gasps> that it was bad optics. Um, and people adopting this form of self-censorship because they didn't want the government to get involved and then a lot of that censorship falling by the wayside because uh, it was being challenged or non-domestic markets were getting involved uh, or because people were, were just finding workarounds, essentially. And the main issue here as to why the Hayes Code fell was because it couldn't keep up with the times. Yeah, exactly. And you, it, it's just bad business, isn't it? supply and demand and if people are demanding more as we said movies around about the late 60s in the u.s weren't really they weren't really reflecting people's everyday lives not that people were necessarily looking for cinema verite but they just recognized the counterculture movement had already swept through the u.s at this stage and they they realized and films that films weren't still weren't allowing. Like... Yeah, they were just way too buttoned up, way too starchy, and they wanted something I don't know, like uh, more with, with more acid. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted something just like smothered in LSD uh, and nude in the middle of a field, uh, listening to Jimi Hendrix. Okay, so we're gonna end the episode on that image. Yeah. Uh, next time, I promise we'll talk more about NC Seventeen. A little bit of X rating in there. A little bit of porn. Yeah. Sorry for the blue balls, gang, but uh, this this story is uh, a lot bigger, uh, a lot meatier than we initially thought it was. So. I think you could say we went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you said the name of the thing. Oh, oh. I said the thing. So we're not going to leave you guys hanging completely. How about we round off the episode with uh, a couple of weird facts? Yeah, I've got a very quick weird fact for you, and it's not a fun one. Oh, okay. Um, so you'll learn more about the treatment of actresses if you listened to our Golden Ages episode. I did Golden Ages of Hollywood. Um, 
This I didn't cover. Basically, it's a procedure that uh, lots of Say, you, ladies... you saying the word procedure is already <laughs> making my dick shrivel up inside my body. Go on. A lot of leading ladies would, would do. So in order to make their cheekbones more pronounced, because many women like Joan Crawford were told that that was an investment. And if you wanted to be a leading lady for a long time, you got to have damn cheekbones. Mm -hmm. So they would remove their back molars to kind of give Ooh. their cheeks like a, sink, a sunken in effect to make their cheekbones look bigger. Oh, oh my God. I have not had anywhere near as much dental work as you have <laughs> recently. And even I just, oh. I've had a lot of dental work and I've had a lot of dental work done in... Asia, specifically in Taiwan, where they don't not do um anesthetic. Yeah, but they give you very little. They they seem to go via the rule of thumb of like you'll tell me <laughs> you'll tell me if there isn't enough, <laughs> and then I'll me, give you some more. You'll tell me when it starts to hurt, and then we'll try again, and then you'll tell me again when it starts to hurt. Yeah, it's like you're paying by the milligram or something. Yeah, I had I've had two simultaneous root canals that have taken me a year and a half to complete. Hmm. So. Mm hmm. In terms of money, it's been great. Because it's cheaper. It's way cheaper. Yeah. Here. In in terms of um, I don't know, one, like one beautiful fake tooth now. <laughs> you just have that big, solid gold fake tooth, like you are, like a classic nineteen seventies pimp, uh, and I and I love it, and I love you. Mm. Um, and you also uh, your cheekbones look amazing. They do, yeah. But that's because they've always looked me. You could be a golden age era pinup, honest to God. Um, just gotta throw more boric acid in my eyes. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> uh, all right, so mine are uh, some unusual ratings. I'm going to give you some now, and then I'm, I'm going to save the, the best for the next episode, okay? So, as you know, whenever you rate a movie or a TV show or a video game, there'll normally be a little blurb saying, you know, intense violence or uh, some drug use, etc., etc. Here are some of the, the zanier ones according to IMDb. Uh, 1992's Dead Alive, Rated R for an abundance of outrageous gore. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Skateboard Kid 2 from 1994 rated PG for brief mild language and an adolescent punch in the nose. <laughs> okay. But just so much worse than an adult punch in the nose. 2002's Rollerball rented PG-13 for violence, extreme sports action, <laughs> sensuality, language, and some drugs references. Extreme sports action. That sounds like it would be a 90s commercial. It was or... like, yeah, late 90s, early noughties. Everything was like extreme. And I, I guess they just saw that and shat their pants. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to end with Adam Sandler's Mr. Deeds, also from 2002, uh, rated PG-13 for language, including sexual references and some rear nudity. Ooh. Which tells me nothing because it could be better than frontal nudity but it could also be a lot worse i mean nothing against adam sandler all body types are beautiful i still don't want to see his buttocks wow <laughs> drive by an adam sandler for the end of the episode all right guys we hope you've enjoyed today's episode thank you so much for listening if you've liked the show please give us a like give us a follow and leave a review this has been enter the rabbit hole as always reminding you to Go to the dentist earlier rather than later. And also, don't remove teeth for beauty's sake.
Yeah. And don't inject stuff into your bum. Unless. Take care for now, folks. <laughs> bye bye. Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer. The music was created by Glenn Marshall. More information and sources can be found in the episode description. You can email us at etrhthepod at gmail or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod. Thanks for listening.